Thank you. So we want to talk about David, King David. He's not yet king. We want to start in uh, 1 Samuel 22. Because I was thinking we would get to David and Bathsheba today, but that may be too, too much. I want to set up some of the background. That episode of David and Bathsheba does not happen in a vacuum. We're talking about a man who by the time he gets to be king in Jerusalem is a very wounded man and is set up for doing sort of crazy things. But let's see how he gets there. So 1 Samuel 22, verse 2, uh, David was working with Saul, and all of a sudden Saul turns on him. Basically, he comes back from killing Goliath, and the people start chanting his name, essentially along with Saul's, maybe a little bit ahead of Saul, and so the king Saul becomes jealous of him. 1 Samuel 22, 2, David goes out, leaves the presence of Saul, goes out as a fugitive, and then we read, and everyone who was in distress, and everyone who was in debt, and everyone who was bitter of soul gathered to him. So let's get an idea of the people who are around him who might also influence who he is and, and what happens to him. And he became commander over them. And there were with him about 400 men. So this company grows ultimately to about 600. He has 600. At the time, he's going to go and meet Abigail. I want to step back and look at how God has been with David. Because as the story, as we're, as we're climbing this hill to sort of David's peak, we want to see the episodes, the things that happen that are ultimately going to be his undoing. Why? Because we're looking at scripture not just because it's interesting, it's the word of God, but we want to say, I want to make sure I don't do that. I look at it, meditate on it to try to avoid the mistakes, pick out the mistakes. So as we look, God is helping David continuously. Saul throws a spear at him three times. He escapes every time. In 1 Samuel 23, verses 1 to 14, he goes to this city of Keilah, and he saves them. He's in the city, and he consults the priest to ask, will Saul find me in here? And if Saul comes after me, will these people give me up? And the priest consults God and says, yes, in fact, they will betray you. We need to leave. And so David leaves. That is the last time we see him consulting God until... This, this years later, and I think there's something there. He, he's close to God. He, you know, he's, he was you know, writing psalms. He was playing the harp for Saul in the palace. And something happens, and he sounds like he really stops consulting God, although it's very evident that God is very much trying to get his attention. 
So in, in the second part of 1 Samuel 23, Saul comes now, the, the Ziphites, I'm sorry, 1 Samuel 23, starting in verse 15, the Ziphites, who are also from the tribe of Judah. They are from David's own tribe. They go to Saul to say, hey, he's hiding among us. Come get him. Saul comes out with 3,000 men. And by the way, part of the, the, the talk this week is on people-pleasing. So these Ziphites, who are part of David's tribe, think that they can curry favor with Saul, who's the tribe of Benjamin. So they uh, tell Saul where he is. And they're also concerned that if Saul finds him on their own, he might start destroying their villages to try to, because he did already destroy the priests. So they're trying to preserve themselves. Saul comes out with 3,000 men, and David has 600. So Saul has five times the number of men that David has. So he's far outnumbered. And we read that in verse, starting in verse 26 of 1 Samuel 23, Saul went on one side of the mountain, and David and his men were on the other side of the mountain. And David was hurrying to get away from Saul, as Saul and his men were closing in on David and his men to capture them. A messenger came to Saul, saying, Hurry and come, for the Philistines have made a raid against the land. So Saul returned from pursuing after David and went against the Philistines. Therefore, that place was called the Rock of Escape. So this miraculous thing happens. You know, they're going around the mountain. They're closing in on David. And at the last moment, essentially God shows up in the form of a messenger to say, to call Saul off. Anyone remember any time in scripture where something like that happened? There was enemies coming against God's people and at the, at the last moment something happened? Thank you. So this is something we don't always appreciate about God, how he waits till the last minute on some of the things we wish he would solve for us earlier. But this is part of his character. He is a god of drama. He enjoys drama. <laughs> Most of us really want the safety and security because the drama also pulls out our faith. It gets us to pray harder. I think so many of us, if you're like me, you will want everything calm. You'll want everything insured. You want to make sure nothing can really happen to you that will be out of your control. A lot of that, I would call it anti-faith. It has to do with the reason that you're buying insurance, the reason that you're doing these things, the reason you need the 401k. If it is to make sure that you never need God, you never have to pray for something, God may not bless that. He wants this interaction. Now, it's certainly possible you can be very wealthy and have a great relationship with God. Those things, at least as far as Scripture is concerned, rarely go together. It's easier for a camel to get through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven. It's, why? Because you begin to depend on your stuff and on your resources and on your people. And so your relationship with God weakens typically. Not every time, but it takes effort. So... 
1 Samuel 24, we have another episode. Saul decides to go, he's sorted out the Philistines, he's going to go find David again. Again, 3,000 men go to find him, and this time David is in a cave. Saul goes in the cave to relieve himself. David cuts off a corner of his robe. Saul comes out of the cave, and David holds up the robe and says, look, I could have killed you. What, you know, an unrighteous man would not have done this. Why are you chasing me? And basically, David's men also want, you know, say, look, let's kill the guy. Let's get this over with. And we see the heart of David here, the beautiful heart of David. He said, who can lift up his hand against God's anointed? He recognizes that he doesn't want to bring salvation for himself by his own hand. Sort of a, a refrain we're going to hear again in the next chapter from Abigail. Do not save by your own hand. Don't do something, especially if it's sin, to try to have the end justify the means. That's not something that you want to do. God's not going to bless that. So David appeals to Saul's conscience. Saul and his army leave. It is then we have the chapter, uh, chapter 25 with Abigail. David's going to wipe these people out. Abigail comes to him. Again, you see, what I want you to see now is God's intervention essentially every time. Not only in the fact that he's calling off the armies of Saul, he's giving Saul into David's hand, but giving him essentially the spiritual power to say, at that moment, especially with his men, these people who want this living in the caves over with, he has enough moral authority to say, no, this is not the right thing. And then he has this Abigail, and Abigail comes to him to give him the moral authority to, to not to do the wrong thing. So each time God is with him and also helping him in his heart to obey God. I want to just stop here because when we, when we start talking about this next chapter, chapter 26, uh, I feel like David is starting to really come apart. His resources are, uh, he's starting to lose his resources now. Uh, he has, uh, part of the reason is that he has, instead of just marrying one wife, he has married two. Whenever you are with one, and David had a sensitive heart, you are with one, you are displeasing the other one. And you're with this one, and you, someone is always unhappy with you. Besides the fact that God said that the two shall become one, he is saying this is a very special thing. There is a spiritual power here. You have just diluted it. In fact, you might have even negated it. So there's something about him now thinking. In David, he has a sensitive heart. He has a broken heart. His father paid little attention to him. All the things that we talk about in this class were happening in David's life. His father, his mother... So he needed a wife to comfort him, to advise him, to be one with him, and probably for political alliances, and I'm not sure what else. I'm sure that, that his other wife was an attractive woman. 
but I believe she steered him the wrong way. Because Abigail says, do not work your salvation by your own hand. And we find in chapter 27, David doing exactly that. He is working salvation by his own hand. And I believe to his great destruction. And my theory is that that came from his other wife. Reason being, if you are a wife and you have just married a man and he happens to be a fugitive, you're probably nagging him about when are we going to settle down. <laughs> and so David now is, I believe, making some very unhealthy decisions. And he's, he's actually, seems like he's coming apart. But before we get into this, because I think the antidote to this was for David to recognize that God had been working in his life. And when we're under stress, and David was clearly under stress with Saul and 3,000 men coming to get him, you know, sort of unannounced, which could be theoretically their last day. Although, remember, David had been anointed king. He's not king, so God's promise is still valid. So he had to really trust that that was real, that anointing, that God was going to do this for him. And remember, we all have God's promises as well. So I want to take uh, a few minutes right now, and I want you, either alone or with your partner, I want you to go through the things that God has done for you. Answers to prayer, uh, things that have even happened around the holiday season, things even this year. It is very important, and we so quickly, because we have a, uh, the way our mind works, we, we take the negative over the positive, typically. We don't review the things that God has done for us. And had David done that, in this case, uh, at this point in his life, I think events would have taken a different turn. So I don't want to miss that opportunity. Let's, let's take some time now, a couple of minutes, talk with your partner or with yourself or journal Really go over with the Lord things that he has done clearly in your life. Even back to high school, most of us men had a time when we were riding a bike. We probably should have been killed. Something happened and God miraculously saved us. We've all got those stories. Let's talk about them now. Good discussion to continue at home. This is a great season to continue this discussion. I think as we start to remember how many things, especially during our adolescence and the, the time when most of us do crazy things that God did protect us, uh, and even today. I want to start reading in chapter 26, just to get some idea of what's, of what's happening here. Uh, so we just finished uh, that David has now married two wives around the same, very close to the same period of time. Then the Ziphites came to Saul at Gibeah. Remember, they came the first time saying he's with us. They came again. Hey, is not David hiding himself on the hill of Hakilah, which is on the east of Jeshimon? So Saul arose and went down to the wilderness of Ziph with 3,000 chosen men, men of Israel, to seek David in the wilderness of Ziph. So then David sends out spies, finds out that he is Saul, in fact, is there. Verse 6, Then David said to Ahimelech the Hittite and to Joab's brother Abishai, the son of Zariah, Who will go down with me into the camp to Saul? 
And Abishai said, I'll go down with you. So David and Abishai went to the army by night. And there lay Saul sleeping within the encampment with his spear stuck in the ground at his head. And Abner, who's the general, and the army lay around him. Then Abishai said to David, God has given your enemy into your hand this day. Now please let me pin him to the earth with one stroke of the spear. I will not strike him twice. But David said to Abishai, Do not destroy him, for who can put out his hand against the Lord's anointed and be guiltless? Wow. What a heart. What he has just done, uh, as I reflected on this, I think could be a suicide mission. He has just done a very, unless God has told him to do this, and we don't see any evidence of that. There is another story similar to this where Gideon in the book of Judges goes down to the camp and listens at someone's tent, but he doesn't walk to the center of the camp with all the army camped around Saul, 3,000 men, and he walks through to the center and has a conversation. The reason I'm thinking something is going wrong with him, basically he's, he's really pushing God, like, you know what, I've had about enough of this. I'm ready to die. Either I'm going to die or he's going to die. And he asked two guys to go with him. One guy says, who's a Hittite, which are the warriors, says, I'm not going. That's crazy. And Abishai, who is his nephew, says, I'll go. <laughs> but what David is doing here, I think, is just really pushing God. And when he gets to the center of this camp, it's so obvious to him that God has done this that he, he doesn't kill Saul, which probably was his, his mission. I mean, I don't think he went there to get his water jar. Like, oh, this is going to be a cute little plan. Ultimately, they end up taking his spear and his water jar, going over on a hill and calling out to Saul, And Saul recognizes David's voice and says, Is that your voice? Remember, it's midnight. Is that your voice, my son David? And David said, It is my voice, my lord the king. And he said, Why does my lord pursue after his servant? What have I done? What evil is on my hands? Now, therefore, let my lord the king hear the words of his servant. If it is the Lord who has stirred you up against me, may he accept an offering. But if it is men, may they be accursed before the Lord. I want you to hear the desperation now. For they have driven me out this day that I should have no share in the heritage of the Lord, saying, Go serve other gods. Now, therefore, let not my blood fall to the earth away from the presence of the Lord. For the king of Israel has come out to seek a single flea like one who hunts a partridge in the mountains. Then Saul said, I have sinned. Return, my son David, for I will no more do you harm, because my life was precious in your eyes this day. Behold, I have acted foolishly and have made a great mistake. And David answered and said, Here's the spear, O king. Let one of your young men come over and take it. And ultimately... That's the the end of the chapter. It wraps up. Saul says to David, Blessed be you, my son David. You will do many things and will succeed in them. So David went his way, and Saul returned to his place.
amazing ending to this story. These three episodes, Saul in the cave, Abigail, Saul in the middle of the camp getting his spear. The reason I had you just go through this exercise to see what the Lord has done for you is so that what happens in this next chapter will never happen to you. Chapter 27. Then David said in his heart, Now I shall perish one day at the hand of Saul. There is nothing better for me than that I should escape to the land of the Philistines. Then Saul will despair of seeking me any longer within the borders of Israel, and I shall escape out of his hand. So David arose and went over, he and the 600 men who were with him, to Achish, the son of Moach, king of Gath. And David lived with Achish at Gath, he and his men, every man with his household, and David with his two wives, Ahinoam of Jezreel and Abigail of Carmel, Nabal's widow. Do you notice the order those women came in? Ahinoam of Jezreel now is number one. And I believe she's calling the shots. She's probably telling him, let's go. When are we going to settle down? And he's looking, as we men do, how can I economically support myself? How can I get out of danger? How can I have security and some, some economics? Well, someone's pushing him to go to the Philistines. I don't think it's Abigail, because that would be saving by his own hand. These are enemies of Israel. And because he's an enemy of Saul, he is going to try to people-please his way into safety. He's going to try to please his wives, and he, now he's going to try to please the evil king of the Philistines. It just stands for so much about our lives. This is essentially selling your soul to the devil. He is now going to have to try to make this king happy with him so he can live in security. And it costs him greatly. These men, what, where are they going to work? 600 men move into town. Where are they going to find jobs? We don't hear anywhere they're praying about this. We don't see they're going to the Lord. And David consulted the Lord he just decides, and that's what we do. We get a lot of people around us, and we start getting busy, and now he's got you know, two families to take care of, and these women now are thinking about having children. They don't want to have children in the wilderness. They want a city life. So he's going to find them a city, and to do that, he's going to sell his soul. So he asked the king if he can have a city, and so this king gives him Ziklag. Verse 8, chapter 27, Now David and his men went up and made raids against the Geshurites, the Gerizites, and the Amalekites, for these were the inhabitants of the land from of old, as far as sure to the land of Egypt. And David would strike the land and would leave neither man or woman alive, but would take away the sheep, the oxen, and the donkeys, the camels, and the garments, and come back to Achish, the king. When Achish asked, where have you made a raid today? David would say, he would lie, and he would say against the Negev of Judah, the Israelites, or against the Negev of the Jeremiahites, or the Negev of the Kenites. These are all friends of, of Israel. 
And David would leave neither man nor woman alive to bring news to Gath, thinking, lest they should tell about us and say, such David has done. This was his custom all the while he lived in the country of the Philistines. And Achish trusted David, thinking he has made himself an utter stench to his people Israel. Therefore, he shall always be my servant. David lived among them a year and four months, 16 months. 16 months he did this. And I believe it just destroyed him. I believe this very sensitive man who was a psalmist, he loved to write songs, he liked to worship the Lord, he liked to sing, and he is now trying to it's armed robbery. Uh, and, and it's not just armed. He's, he's having to kill everyone because in order to please the king, no one can get out to tell the king that he's attacked a Philistine village. These are not warring villages. These are peaceful farm villages, probably with less than 600 people, so his army could wipe them out. He's leading his, it's not just him, he's leading his men who are all in debt, so they were happy enough to be led to take other people's stuff. And now he's got his own uh, city and his family, he's got a place for everyone in this city of Ziklag. What we see here is David makes little decisions that set him up to make bigger decisions and now he's in a situation where uh, he really can't get out of this. Ultimately, what's going to happen is the army of Israel is going to fight the Philistines, and David is going to be asked to join. At the last minute, some of the generals of the Philistines say, look, we don't know about this guy. We don't think he should fight with us. We're concerned he may turn on us. So David, you know, playing the part as a happy servant of the Philistine king, says, oh, shucks, I'm so sorry. I'll go back to Ziklag. David goes back to Ziklag. Ziklag is burned to the ground. Everything's gone. His wives are gone. His families are gone. The wives and children of everyone else is gone. And the people now are so angry with David, they want to stone him. They want to kill him. He went to the Philistines for security. It's like this: whenever you sell your soul to the devil, you are going to pay a price. He wanted to sort of spare his own life, to make sure Saul wouldn't kill him. Now his people want to kill him because he's no longer operating in faith. He's operating out of fear, and he's operating out of people-pleasing. He has become, as Don said last week, bifurcated. He has split. He's trying to please this king. Now he's trying to please all these people. And in the meantime, he's doing tremendous damage to his soul. And as we get into sin and you see people that that happens and maybe it's happened to to some of us in here, you go off the rails, it seems easier to just keep going. Deeper into sin and we all have learned ultimately we've got to come back to where we left the rails. You, You can't get fulfillment that way. 
I just want to uh, stop here and just take a, a, a just a pause, just because it's such a it's such a common thing. This people pleasing, it happens to us very easily in business. Men wanting to provide for our families, we do subtle things to secure our jobs, which somehow steals our soul. It steals the the, the maybe the vitality that we have. We. We are serving our master. We're serving our boss. But our boss is not a good man. When we study burnout, one of the top causes of burnout is working for an organization that does not share your values. And I want us to think about that in here. If you're working for an organization that does not share your values, uh, a team, uh, people, that is going to cause you a lot of distress and ultimately can cause burnout. I think that's, that's where David is here. And ultimately, what happens as they're ready to stone him, it says, and David strengthened himself in the Lord. This is the very next time we hear David's calling on the Lord again. He's asking the, the priest, should we go after these people who have taken our stuff? The answer is yes. God is still with him. He will never leave you. He will never forsake you. No matter how long you've lived among the Philistines, no matter what you've done to your heart and your soul and others, everything is redeemable. We have an amazing God. And I want to take a moment now to, to just discuss with your partner or with yourself or journal, is it possible somewhere in your lives that, that there is this some principle here that we've talked about. There is a something that you're serving. Maybe it is a boss. Maybe it is an organization. Maybe it is a, a, an addiction that is keeping you captive and you are bifurcated. You are pretending to be something to two different types of people and it is destroying you and it is not moving you toward God. And we want to identify it, talk to God about it, and let's try to strengthen ourselves in the Lord. So I'm going to give you a couple moments now. One of the things that was brought up by my wife when I started talking about other allegiances, David had two wives, he had divided allegiances, and now with this king, he had this divided allegiances, things taking you away from God. She said something very wise to me. She said, it's not just another wife or uh, an affair that can do that. There are a lot of things that can do that. And she actually mentioned football. (laughs) (laughs) Work, sports, whatever it is, here it is. Where do you get your dopamine? David thought he was going to marry two wives, double the dopamine. Wrong. First night, perhaps. When your mind goes into fantasy mode, you you usually stop at the dopamine. You don't continue to the morning after. You don't go to the next day. You don't go, where are they going to live? What are we going to do? How is that going to work with my family? We stop at the dopamine. You're going to go to a fantasy? Take it to the next day. Uh, 
you know, don't say, oh, never think about that. Go ahead and think about it, but think about what's going to happen afterwards. And had David done that, I think he would have uh, saved himself a lot, and we will save ourselves a lot. Same thing with fear. You're going to go to fear? Well, God's with you. Go there and, and imagine what's going to happen with God with you. So you're going to go to fantasy and fear or fantasy in uh, sexuality, then make sure you go and get the full, get the full picture of what that's going to look like. Father, we just thank you so much for everyone here. Ask a, a special blessing, Lord, and a special spiritual sensitivity to notice how well you have treated us over the years. And Father, if there's anything that we're doing that is sending us to the land of the Philistines, you would bring that to our attention, even as we sleep, as we talk to our mates, as we, uh, as we ride in the car today. Don't let us escape without knowing what we're doing so we can save our own souls and please you and come into all the fulfillment that you have meant for us. Bless this class and Don, in Jesus' name, amen. amen.